Today on the Rogue Retirement Lounge, meet your host, that's me, Matt Franklin. Welcome to the podcast where entrepreneurs go to learn about alternative retirement investing strategies and structures and all things related to planning a successful, prosperous retirement. If you're self-employed, if you're a gig worker or solopreneur, you've come to the right place to learn how to retire wealthier, retire sooner, and retire happier. This is the Rogue Retirement Lounge. So last week I got an email from a listener um, and he asked me, what qualifies me to give retirement advice to entrepreneurs? And well, I'll tell you, I'm not qualified and nothing on this podcast should be considered advice. Disclaimer, see a qualified professional for tax, investment, and financial advice. But all that said... Just in case you're interested, today I'm going to introduce myself, I'm going to tell you a bit about my journey, and why I believe that I can help entrepreneurs like you to retire sooner and maybe wealthier. All right, so uh, my name is Matt Franklin, I'm 52 years old, and for me personally, I'm going to be retiring the day I hit 59 and a half, and I might have already mentioned that in a previous episode, but before I... Uh, dove deep into investing and real estate, I was 100% in stocks, mutual funds, and ETFs. And I was looking at probably 70 years old for my retirement age. And that was a shitty feeling. And uh, I'll tell you, it feels great knowing that I'm going to be retiring in seven years, one month, and a few days instead of 17 years. And I don't have to save or invest another penny to make it happen. So basically right now I'm just kind of coasting towards retirement in my pre-retirement phase. I'm working part-time and I'm only working on projects that are interesting to me, which is completely awesome. And so anyway, now a little background on your host. So I'm a native Oregonian. I was born in the town of Salem, which currently is a complete shithole, but it used to be kind of a cute little capital town when I was a um, kid. Uh, I also lived in other towns in Oregon, including Sisters, Bend, and Portland. I graduated from high school in Bend, and it was this mountain town, uh, you know, in the um, on the high desert. There's a great ski hill, Mount Bachelor, that's actually world-class, nice dry desert snow, and um, lots of outdoor activities. You could go ride bikes, go check out caves, shoot guns in the woods, all sorts of great stuff. It was just a beautiful place until they started really welcoming uh, homeless people with open arms. And it's become kind of a, a bit more of a shithole. And it's sad to say because these homeless camps that you're finding out in the woods are are littering up the outdoors and are are just basically making what was such a beautiful place into little, you know, trash heaps. And you, if you've ever seen a homeless camp, it's one thing to see them in the city where they're, you know, it's just a pile of litter and needles and shit. But when it's out in the woods in a beautiful little juniper forest area, it's heartbreaking. So anyway, I lived in Bend. I loved the place. It was great but I really wouldn't recommend it right now. So I was an entrepreneur from an early age. I did everything from washing cars to picking and selling blackberries door to door. I did yard work. I had a paper route. 
Um, I ended up uh, my junior year of high school, I started selling dope because that was a great way to make money. And by selling pot in my high school, I ended up getting expelled for the first half of my junior year, which was definitely not one of my proudest moments. And uh, after being arrested for selling dope, I ended up uh, starting a little business giving guitar lessons. And that was a much better way to make money. Uh, after high school, I moved to San Francisco. I lived in an ashram following the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. That's a long story. Um, ended up moving to Palo Alto down in uh, Silicon Valley, where I worked for a company called Computerware, which was the first all Macintosh peripheral and software store in the world, which was super cool. And this was a 1980. 1988. So the Mac was still new. It was a religion. It was completely awesome being a part of that community. And I still use a Mac to this day and for the most part, love them. Um, I moved to Los Angeles where I went to guitar school in 1990 and 91 uh, at a school called Musicians Institute. I lived right off Hollywood Boulevard. Uh, that was an interesting experience. Just so you know, if you go to Hollywood today, it's one thing, you know, the Jimmy Kimmel show, it's clean, it's, you know, safe. It was a shithole when I lived there. And uh, a buddy of mine that lived in my apartment building, he got mugged and stabbed a guy because um, thankfully he carried a knife with him. Um, it was it was a kind of a dark place back then. But we were all there to learn how to play guitar and get better at guitar. So it was a pretty cool experience. So after Los Angeles, I moved back home to Bend, Oregon, where I taught more guitar, and I went to the community college and did my uh, beginning college classes. I went on the road uh, touring with a country band as a guitarist in 1994, which was kind of an awesome experience because we toured around the country. We went all the way from uh, the Las Vegas area up to uh, Ontario, Canada, and all points in between. But then things came to a crashing halt while playing at the world-famous Million Dollar Cowboy Bar in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. I met the woman who would uh, become my wife, and then I had to, or at least I felt like I had to get serious about life. So we got married, we moved to Portland so I could go to college and finish up college, and then, of course, we got divorced after three years. Uh, three years, by the way, is to me the perfect length of a marriage, after that, I started a string of marketing jobs for tech companies, and that went until about, well, it went until exactly 2006. In 2006, I don't know if you remember this, but Google announced that it was going to be buying this new little video sharing site called YouTube for $1.65 billion. A billion dollars was real money 15 years ago. So when I saw that announcement, I immediately, literally that day when I saw that Google was buying YouTube, I went into my boss's office. I had typed out a 30-day notice of resignation. I put it on his desk and I said, dude, I'm out of here. And with his blessing, uh, I started a one-man video production business. And it was important to get his blessing because he ended up hiring me quite a bit, which was great. But... Um, so yeah, I started a video production company. I worked for small local companies and names that you've probably heard of like Microsoft, Intel, Tektronix, Siemens, HP, and I've been all over the world. I've had clients fly me to uh, to Germany, to Japan, to Taiwan, uh, India. So it's been a good gig. And I've been an entrepreneur ever since. That's 
been in the last 15 years, and I have not looked back. Even in the shitty times when I was not making very much money, I could never convince myself to go back and get a real job because that, to me, would have been admitting failure. So then in 2009, a kind of a pivotal moment happened. Uh, I was working on site at a client doing editing, and I was doing editing for eight or nine hours a day, I think. And they put me, they didn't have an office for me, so they put me in a supply closet, literally a supply closet, about an eight by eight room filled with dry erase markers and reams of paper. I sat there thinking, there has got to be a better way to make a living. So I called up my buddy who lived in New York, and I said, man, and this was uh, in the day of, if you recall, the Sham Wow, and this dude, Vince, was making these infomercials for the Sham Wow chamois cloth. Basically, it was just a cloth, and he was making millions of dollars, and it was, it was news. He was a, like a household word. So I called up my buddy from this supply closet, and I said, dude, we've got to make an infomercial. I do video production. There's, we, could, we could easily make one. We just need a product. And he said, I got an idea. It's a posture correction device. And I said, okay, great. So we, that next weekend, we flew to Chicago. We met up. We sat in a hotel room and drank and had pieces of elastic and uh, Velcro. And we tried to make a prototype. We ended up uh, coming up with a name, uh, making a drawing. And I came back home with that drawing of what we thought the product should look like. And I reached out to a bunch of Chinese manufacturers to get samples, to try to get them to build a prototype. And within nine months of that trip to Chicago, we had a product in hand. We had a video, we had a website, and we were selling the product online, which was pretty cool. Actually, it was, it was, it was pretty amazing because we went from zero to product to sales in nine months. And uh, then three years after that, with that same product, we got on Shark Tank. And at some point, I'll, I'll do an episode about the Shark Tank experience because it was fucking crazy. And um, getting on Shark Tank sounds a lot easier than it is. Uh, it took us well over a year of back and forth with the producers uh, to get on. Uh, and, the, I mean, the odds are insanely low. I can't remember the exact number, but I think that our season had over 30,000 people audition to get on. And we were one of, like, what, maybe grand total of 100 people. So if you happen to be interested in getting on Shark Tank, I created a full like multi-hour course on Udemy.com, which goes deep into how to improve your chances of actually getting on the show. If you'd like to check that out, you can just email me at uh, matt at Rogue Retirement Lounge, and I'll send you a coupon so the class will only cost you like five bucks if you're interested in getting on Shark Tank. No guarantees. So our episode of Shark Tank aired in September of 2012. And it was literally mayhem because we're on the West Coast and at our office and we're watching Google uh, Analytics. So the East Coast show is airing at five o'clock our time, eight o'clock their time. And our segment was last on. So at about 5.45, 5.50 our time, all of a sudden we're looking at, at uh, Google Analytics. And if you've ever seen the real time where you can see spots on the map where people are viewing your website from 
it looked like Missile Command. I don't know if you remember Missile Command, but the whole East Coast was lighting up and going nuts and sales were starting to come in. Every time I'd hit refresh on my uh, email, there'd be another sale. And we were literally screaming out loud because so many sales were coming in. It was an amazing rush. And then, so then three hours later, it aired on the West Coast. So I was back home. I was with my girlfriend. We were watching it. Um, a buddy of mine was nice enough to put together a party, a viewing party, but I was too sick with nerves to go to this party. So I just sat at home and drank copious amounts of booze uh, while we watched. But it was really an amazing experience. And like I said, I'll I'll do a whole episode on the Shark Tank experience because it's completely crazy. But um, long story short, or short story long, by Monday, that that was on a Friday night, and by the following Monday, we'd made over $100,000 in sales, and they just kept on going. So, and I'm not saying that to brag, um, because we had built up some pretty serious debt in the years before that, but it was instantly paid off. We started collecting paychecks, which was awesome. And I have a point here, because... I was a total moron when it came to that windfall and I spent it all and I spent it on dumb shit. Like I went to Europe five times. I do weekends in San Francisco, went to Hawaii a couple of times, totally stupid, not thinking about my retirement, not thinking about the long term, only thinking about immediate gratification. And that was just completely dumb. So Meanwhile, I had to keep working, doing my video production work. And around maybe 2015, I was in my mid-40s, I started to get panicky about retirement. I had maybe 150 or 200 grand. Most of that had been like rolled over from my IRAs, or I'm sorry, rolled over from my 401ks from back when I had a real job. Um, I was familiar with the 4% rule. Um, if you're not familiar with the 4% rule, check out uh, episode two. Rogue Retirement Lounge slash two. So if I wanted to retire based on the 4% rule, and if I wanted to say make 80K in annual income, I was going to need $2 million saved up. And I was nowhere even close to being on track for this. At this point, I started spending less time on dumb travel and other stupid things. But I was kind of resigned to the fact that there was no way retirement was in my near future. So then I think it was 2016, I had a full-on epiphany moment. And I want to credit my good friend Moose for this. Uh, Moose was the lead singer in a band, International Mail, that I was in here in Portland, which was uh, really kind of an awesome band. I'm, I won't uh, digress here. But he had moved to Austin, Texas, and I flew down there to shoot some video for one of my clients. And I spent the evening with him. And as he uh, drove me back to my hotel, he told me about a realtor that he was working with who was giving him pro formas on some new build duplexes in a nearby town close to Austin. And he ended up buying one and the returns that he was making were going to be really good. So for whatever reason, I had never until this moment even considered real estate. And I'm not sure why, but it just seemed like such a fucking pain in the ass, you know? And other people mention this to me all the time. They say, you know, I don't want to get a call at midnight about a clogged toilet. Well, I now own houses in three states, and none of these are within a thousand miles of where I live, and I've never gotten a midnight call about a clogged toilet. I will admit, all of them except one place are managed by property management companies, so those people may have gotten a call at midnight, but I sure didn't. 
So in 2016, I went nuts researching real estate. I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which if you haven't read it yet, you need to do it now. Don't wait. I, I read all of Kiyosaki's other books. I read every real estate investing book I could get my hands on. I listened to real estate podcasts, including the granddaddy of them all, which you should be listening to if you're interested in real estate, the Bigger Pockets podcast. Uh, I listened to at least 100 episodes of that one. So after a year or so of researching real estate, uh, you know, doing my own pro formas, analyzing deals, uh, just being really absorbed in the whole idea of real estate, I bought my first turnkey rental in Ohio. Now, um, if you haven't heard it, check out episode six, where I give a pretty detailed account of that process. Anyway, since then, I've bought a few more houses. I've invested in some real estate syndications, and it's going great. I am almost 100% out of the stock market now. So last year, I was running the numbers on what my current investment portfolio was going to be worth and what was going to be performing like when, uh, you know, 10 years from now. And I realized as I was doing this analysis that I was going to be able to totally retire and stop working and live off the, the nest egg that I built up when I turned 59 and a half. And 59 and a half is an important year because then you're not paying the 10% uh, penalty for taking money out of your IRA. By the way, that's just over seven years from now, and I'm recording this in April 2021. This realization was really closer to an epiphany for me because I've had this little cloud over me for the last maybe 10 years as I've had this kind of nagging, constant nervousness about whether or not I'd be able to retire before age 70. So coming to this realization it just, it took a huge weight off my shoulder. And really, I wasn't fully conscious that I'd had this weight, that I'd been carrying it until it was gone. And not only was I going to be able to retire at 59 and a half, I didn't have to add any more money or save any more money to do it. So everything I had done up to then, up to last summer, was going to fund my retirement. So that was an even bigger weight lifted off my shoulders because even though I wasn't a huge saver, trying to come up with an extra 10 grand or so a year to put into my IRA was not easy and a great uh, source of stress for me, especially with how stupidly I spent money on travel, booze, and bullshit expenses. So remember the movie Office Space where the guy gets hypnotized and stops caring about work, about responsibilities, about what other people think and whatnot? Well, I swear, last summer when I ran the numbers and had my little retirement epiphany, I felt like that. I felt like the dude on office space. Now I can work when I want to, with whom I want to work. I can charge what I want. And if the client doesn't want to pay and wants to find someone else, they can go right ahead. No hard feelings because I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm fucking free. So in the middle of the COVID pandemic, I started my pre-tirement. And I call it that because I still have to work part-time to pay my bills, but if no work comes in for a couple weeks, I'm cool because I still get to retire in seven years and a month or so. I'm not saying all this to brag. I'm not saying all this to boast because my retirement will not be extravagant. Don't get me wrong. I'll get into the numbers on a future episode, but I'm sharing this because shifting my focus, doing some legwork, doing a ton of research, being open to non-traditional investments and real estate, and taking action, most important, taking action, enabled me to get where I am today relatively quickly. Okay, 
So if you've stayed with me this long, I really appreciate it. This is becoming super long and my apologies. Anyway, so after I officially entered my pre-tirement last year, I was like, what the hell am I going to do with my time? You got to have something to fill the hours. And I, you know, I've got the personality type of an entrepreneur. I'm like you, I got to stay busy. I can't just sit around and watch golf or play golf every day or, you know, slack. Um, and as it turns out, my obsession with researching investing and staying up on the markets and retirement planning didn't stop once I'd hit this point where I could just coast to the finish line. I was still listening to macroeconomics podcasts, reading about investing. In fact, I was actually spending even more time researching retirement planning at this point. And it turns out that I really love this stuff. It's weird and it's nerdly, but I do. So after a few months, I thought, well, what the fuck? Why don't I just start a podcast that's all about retirement planning, but focused only on self-employed people like me and you? And I wish that a podcast like this had been around when I was trying to figure out my plan because it probably could have saved me some time and maybe could have saved me some money on some bad investments that I made. So anyway, here we are. We're here in the Rogue Retirement Lounge. And in a nutshell, this podcast is my goofy little passion project. And I seriously love talking about retirement planning. So welcome aboard. So now you know a little bit more about me. Hopefully, you're going to stay with me on this podcast as I keep adding episodes. And if you have any questions relating to retirement planning for entrepreneurs, please feel free to send me an email at matt at rogueretirementlounge.com or just go to my website, rogueretirementlounge.com, all one word. And on the side of the page, there's a, on the right side of the page, there's a little red microphone button that says, send Matt a voicemail. And you can just record your question and uh, it'll get sent to me automatically and I'll be happy to answer your question on the show. So now that's it for today. Thanks for sticking with me. I'll catch you next time. Nothing in this podcast is meant to be financial, legal, or tax advice. Though there's some kick-ass information here, it's for informational purposes only. Take control of your retirement planning, but get professional counsel if you need tax, legal, or financial advice. For more content like this, join my mailing list at rogueretirementlounge.com. And if you have questions about retirement investing, entrepreneurship, business, or anything else, my email address is matt at rogueretirementlounge.com.